Um, Ephesians chapter 1, we'll begin reading in verse number, uh, verse number 18. Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 18. The Bible says, "...the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of His calling, and what the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of His power to usward who believe, according to the working of His mighty power, which He wrought in Christ when He raised Him from the dead." And set him at his own right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might, dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head uh, over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Father, we do thank you that we can come this morning, and Lord, thank you for the beautiful music, and Lord, just the message of the songs that were sung uh, this morning. Uh, Lord, we truly are blessed as the choir and the kids' choir sang this morning. We are tr- so blessed in all that we have, and uh, Lord, just your love for us. And uh, Lord, all of that is through the cross of Jesus Christ and what he did for us. And so, Father, we just thank you for uh, just the privilege of being able to meet here this morning. We ask you just bless now as we open your word and just uh, use it to speak to hearts. And maybe we, may we be yielded to you, uh, listen, uh, and Lord, uh, may we act upon how you speak to our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as we're continuing through our, our, our study here, um, we're coming to this passage in verses 18 through 23, which I think are just really um, a powerful, powerful passage of Scripture. And uh, as we've looked, Paul is, he is he's praying for the church. He has this prayer that he's praying that God would bless this church in Ephesus. And uh, he's asking that God that he would give them that the spirit of wisdom and revelation in verse number 17. And then he says in verse number 18, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. And so we talked about how important it is that we, we see things spiritually, not just with the physical aspect, not just with the physical eyes, but, but spiritually. He's not asking for our physical eyes to be opened and, and enlightened, but spiritually, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, and we need our spiritual eyes to be opened. And um, one of the the new catchphrases, there's there's a lot of new catchphrases going around our society today, but one of the new catchphrases is, find your purpose. It's powerful, isn't it? Find your purpose, or what's your purpose, right? And uh, um, it's not necessarily a bad phrase, but the problem is most people living today have no purpose. We really have no purpose. Um, Even those who have a purpose really have no purpose. Because let's face it, when you think about what most people's purpose is today, most people's purpose has to do with physical things. Uh, Our purpose, our desire uh, is to get a, our purpose is to get a better job. Right? We want to get a better job, or we want to get a, uh, buy a house, or we want to buy a car. We want to make money to, to buy things that we want, and we want to make enough money to retire so we don't have to work. And, and all the things that really our whole purpose revolves around is physical things. And what's, what's really unfortunate many times is that's what many Christians' purpose revolves around, physical things. And the reason why I say many people that have a purpose really have no purpose is because if your purpose is these physical things, if that's really what our purpose is, 
It really is no purpose. Because all of those things are going to be done away with. All of those things will vanish, right? Uh, last week, we, we looked at how important it is to see things spiritually. Uh, the eyes of our understanding being enlightened. Because if we don't see things spiritually, then we aren't really living with purpose. If we're just looking at the physical things, then there's not really a purpose that we have. Because you can't take any of these things with you when you die. You're not going to take your job with you. You're not going to take your money. You're not going to take your car or your boat or whatever the possessions that we're, we're trying to gain. Those things really are without purpose. So then, are we really living with purpose? I would have to say we are not. If that's what our purpose is, is just to get all of those things, then we're not really living with purpose. And I think these verses really help us to see how important living with purpose is. To live with purpose. But it takes spiritual sight. If we're truly going to live with purpose, it takes spiritual sight. And last week we saw his calling, right? Remember there in verse number 18, he says, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, his calling, right? Now I want to draw your attention to, to some very important phrases in this passage. And because again, we're, we're, we're asking God to help us to see things spiritually, we need the eyes of our understanding. Again, not our physical eyes, right? How many fingers am I holding up? I hope some of you are like, is he, is he even up there? I'm not sure, <laughs> right? Um, no, it's, he's not talking about physical eyes. He's talking spiritually, right? And, and so here's the thing. Watch what he says. The eyes of our understanding being light that you may know what is the hope of his calling. So last week we looked at his calling right? His calling. He's called us to salvation. He's called us to serve. He's called us to liberty. He's called us to be holy. He's called us to suffer. Those were the things that we looked at last week, right? His calling. But I want you to notice as we go through here, he says, and what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance? In verse number 19, what is the exceeding greatness of his power? And then verse number 22, and hath put all things under his feet, in verse number 23, which is his body. Do you notice who he keeps referring to? He keeps referring to Jesus Christ. He goes back, it's, it's his calling on our lives. It is, it is his inheritance. It is his power. It is his authority. It is his body. Now, here's the thing. If we don't understand, if we can't see things spiritual, we're not going to see that this is all about him. We're just going to go through life thinking life is still about me. I'm just going to go through life and I'm just going to, you know, find a purpose. And, you know, maybe my purpose is going to be uh, humanitarian and I'm just going to help people and, and give to help people. Or maybe my purpose is going to be, you know, I'm going to I'm going to work real hard so that I can retire early. Or maybe my purpose is going to be I'm going to, uh, you know, be able to buy those things that I want. If we are not seeing things spiritual, then we'll just continue going through our life. And our life now becomes all about me. And in this passage, how many times does he refer to him? He says, his calling, his 
feet, his power, his inheritance, his body. It all has to do with him. And if we really want to live with purpose, we need our spiritual eyes to be opened, to understand that this life is about him, not about me. And look, we can, we can understand, we can say, well, the world, of course, the world thinks that their life is all about them. Sure, we understand that. But I hope this morning most of us here are Christians. I hope this morning most of us here would say we know Jesus Christ is our Savior. Are you living with purpose? If you're living with purpose, let me ask you what your purpose is. Is your purpose all about you or is your purpose all about him? Because if you're living with purpose and you're saying, my purpose is all about me, then you're not really living with purpose. You're, you're living with the physical eye still. It's all about me. And this is why Paul is saying, I'm praying that your, your eyes would be opened, right? And so watch what he does. Paul continues here, this, this idea of living with purpose, right? Notice in verse number 18, he says, The eyes of your understanding be enlightened. You may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. So here's the second thing he says. If we're going to live with purpose, we have to understand it's his calling. We have to understand it's his inheritance, now, we looked at his calling last week, but this is really interesting. Again, it doesn't say our inheritance. It says his inheritance. It doesn't say what we're going to inherit. It says this is his inheritance. What is the, the hope, right? The hope of his calling. What is the riches of the glory of his inheritance? Watch this in the saints. Do you understand that you as a believer are part of God's inheritance? You are part of Jesus Christ's inheritance. It says that we are the glory of his inheritance in the saints. The blessings that we receive from salvation are absolutely immeasurable. The kids in the choir just saying about it. We are, we are so blessed. The blessings are absolutely unbelievable. They're immeasurable. But God gets something out of it as well. We think of salvation. We think of man, we're saved and we have a, a home in heaven. and We're going to be with the Lord Jesus Christ for all of eternity. And we don't have to fear death. And, and sin no longer has control of us. And we think, man, we're so blessed. But God says, hey, let me, let me let you in on a secret. I get something out of it as well. God says there's something that he gets out of it also. He gets us. He gets us. Now, I'm going to be very honest with you. That doesn't seem like a fair exchange, does it? Come on. Does that, feel, does that seem like a fair exchange? Look at what we get, eternal life and salvation and a, a home in heaven and, and uh, all these different things. And then look at what God gets. He gets us. Look at the person next to you and be like, he gets you? Yeah, right? You're like, yeah, I'm not really sure that God got the good end of the deal on this. Right? I mean, this, but this is what he says. He says this is the, the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Uh, this, again, it just shows how much he cares about us, that he considers us worth saving. Now, I understand, look, 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 I understand we are, when you compare us to God and when you compare us to everything that God is, we're, we're nothing. We're nothing. 
But God says you're valuable. And God says, I want you to be mine. God says, I want you to be part of my inheritance. Isn't that amazing? That God would want us to be part of his inheritance? That he would care so much about us that he would send his son? You say, well, you don't know what all I've done. Look, I don't have to know all that you've done. You know what you've done, and so does God. Think about that. You know what you've done, and God knows what you've done. And it kind of, when we think about that, it kind of makes us squirm a little bit to think that God knows everything that I've done. And yet, knowing all of that, he can still considers us worth saving and making us his own. Isn't that a glorious thought? Knowing everything that we have done and how all the, the wickedness and all the sin that we have done and how everything wrong that we have done, and yet God still says, I care about you and I want to make you part of my inheritance. Praise the Lord. That's, a, that's an incredible thought. That's a glorious truth that we have. But what does this mean, though? What does it mean to be part of God's inheritance? Well, let me ask you this. Nobody wants their inheritance to be squandered by poor choices, do they? Somebody says, hey, you know what? I'm going you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to leave you an inheritance, and I'm going to leave you a couple million dollars. You're like, woo, hallelujah. But, uh, but instead of just leaving you the money, I decided to, to invest it for you. And uh, uh, so I went to Walmart, and uh, I bought all the Beanie Babies that they had in Walmart. How many of you be like, no, you'd be like, why? Why would you do that? Just, just leave me the money. Why would you invest it in something that's basically worthless, right? I mean, you know, we wouldn't want somebody to squander our inheritance. Hey, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to leave you, you know, an inheritance, but, you know, I think I'm just going to, I was going to leave you a couple million dollars, but, uh, you know, I just decided to, uh, to just kind of blow it and, uh, you might get five bucks when it's all said and done. You'd be like, stop, leave it alone. Stop touching it. Don't, don't mess with it. I, I, I want it complete, right? Now think about this. We are his inheritance. And the choices we make should be made for his glory, not our own personal desires. We are his inheritance, and just like we wouldn't want anybody to make poor choices with our inheritance, guess what God says? I want you to make right choices. Remember, we are called to, for his purpose, we, and, and now we are trying to live with purpose, and he says, I want you to realize you're part of my inheritance, so think about what that means. You belong to me, and you're part of my inheritance, and I want you to make wise choices. I want you to live in a way that brings honor and glory to me. Look what he says again. He says, what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? Now, let me ask you a question real quick. And please don't answer this out loud. I wonder, are the choices that we're making beneficial as God's inheritance? Are they wise choices that we're making as God's inheritance or are we squandering God's inheritance? Are we just wasting it? Are we saying, well, hey, I'm just going to make 
choices however I want. I'm just going to do whatever I want. I'm going to live however I want. Wait a minute. Then you're not living with purpose because it is his calling and you are his inheritance. And he has a purpose. And he wants us to live with purpose. Don't don't forget that we are his inheritance and there is a responsibility that we need to make the right choices. Now watch what he says in verse number 19. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power. Twice there he speaks about how God's power is mighty. His mighty power. His power. You know, God's power, this word exceeding in verse number 19, exceeding greatness. The word exceeding means it's surpassing. It's, it's unlimited. It's beyond imagination. I mean, you, you, we can't even fathom the power of God, right? You think about the solar system that we live in and, and the universe, and, and, and we just can't even fathom how great our God is. You think about the, the DNA structure of, of, of how we're made up and, and people are still trying to figure it out and try to, how is this even possible? You think about the atoms and uh, the, the protons and the neutrons. And I mean, we're talking about things that we can't even see and like how with, without them, we, we'd all be dead. And we just think about how great his power, it's exceeding, it's, it's unlimited. There, there's, there's just no way to even grasp how great his power is. In fact, the word great, the word greatness here means megathos. It means mega. It means mighty. It's it's explosive. All he had to do was speak. (laughs) All he had to do was speak the words and it came into existence. Do you understand how powerful he is? But what is most remarkable about his power, notice what he says here, is that it is to us. Watch this. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe? He said, those of us who have believed, we have, we have accepted his calling we've to, to salvation. And now we're saying, yes, Lord, we understand we're part of your inheritance. But he says, I want you to understand something. Not only have I given you an inheritance, but he says, I've also given you my power. Again, we're talking about this this mega power, this unlimited power that God possesses. And he says, this power is to us word. God takes his power and extends it to us. He makes his power available to his children. Imagine somebody saying, well, I just, you know, I just don't think God can do that. What are they saying? God, your power is limited. God, yes, I believe your power is great in creation, but your power in my problem, you just, you just don't have the power to do it. Wait a minute. God says his power is amazing. It's exceeding. It's great. And he, he's extending it to us. He's, that's why he says in Philippians 4, uh, verse 13, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. If I'm doing it in his strength and in his power, what is impossible then? If it's through his power and his might, what is impossible? That's why, he's, that's why our theme this year is be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Not ours, his. His power is extended to us. And, and it's really amazing how he, he breaks this down in verse number 20. He, he, he shows how powerful he is, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead 
and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. Think about it. He says this power is so great. That, and he uses the example of the power of the resurrection. When you go to the Old Testament, you'll find that whenever we talk about the power of God, it always went back to what God did with Israel coming out of Egypt. Right? That's always the, the kind of the, if you want to say the standard of God's power. Man, you want to talk about God's power? Look what he did when he brought us out of Egypt. He brought the 10 plagues and, and, he, and he opened up the Red Sea and he, and he brought us across on dry ground. The power of God was amazing. But when we come to the New Testament, whenever we talk about the power of God, we don't go back to the Red Sea crossing. Guess where we go to? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because when you want to talk about the power of God, yes, man, God's power was great to open up the Red Sea and and to to defeat Egypt, but the resurrection proves the power of God and how powerful and great he is. And this is why God's power in the resurrection is so important to a believer. Think about this. Through the resurrection, think about what he's saying, which he wrought in Christ whom he raised from the dead. That's the resurrection, right? Through the resurrection, what does that show us about God's power? One, it shows us that God has the power to conquer the, all the trials and temptations of life. God has the power to conquer all trials and temptations of life. The greatest trial that a man faces is death. That's the greatest trial a man faces, death. I was reading a, a story about a man named Adoniram Judson, who was an early missionary and Adoniram Judson grew up in a Christian home, but just really kind of chose to, to walk away from what his parents believed and went to college and kind of got around some people that were atheists. And there was one man in particular, I can't remember his name, but this man was an atheist and really started to influence uh, Judson's life. And, um, and uh, Judson was going, I believe he was going home one time. And as he was traveling, he, he had to stop at a, uh, he had to stop at a, at a, a, like an inn, like a hotel today. And uh, when he goes in, he talks to the innkeeper and he says, you know, I need a room for the night. And the innkeeper says, look, I'm sorry, uh, we only have one room available. Uh, and that one room is next to a man that's dying. And he said, I, I can't promise you that, the, the, you know, that he's not going to be making noises and things in the night. And, uh, and he's like, so if you'd rather not have the room, it's okay. And, and Judson says, no, I'm really tired. I, I, need, I need this room. And so he, he goes ahead and he gets the room and he's trying to lay there that night. And all night long, he hears this man next door just moaning and groaning. And, he, and Judson, no, this man is dying. And he just hears him all night long. And he begins to think, man, this man's dying. I wonder, wonder what's going to happen to him after he's, after he's gone. And he, as he begins to think about this all night long, he thinks, you know, I wonder what my friend, who was this atheist at school, I wonder what he would have to say about this. I wonder what my friend would have to say about this man that is, that is dying over here and just moaning and, and just crying through all the night, the pain and everything this man must have been in. Well, finally, uh, early in the morning, he, he stops and Judson's able to get a little bit of sleep. And so in the morning, as Judson's checking out, he asks, he said, hey, what happened to the, what happened to the guy in the next room? And the innkeeper said he died. He died in the night. And Judson kind of felt a little bad for the guy. And he said, do you mind if I ask what the, what was the name of that man? And the innkeeper said the man's name. And it was Judson's atheist friend. Who had been right next door, crying out, fearing death, understanding that once he died, he didn't know what was going to happen. 
And when Judson heard that, it began, it, it really struck a chord in his heart and in his life. And he realized, I don't understand what's going to happen after I die. And he had listened to that all night long, and it caused him to turn to Jesus Christ. And Judson became a great missionary because of what happened that night. The greatest trial that we face is death. But you know what Jesus says? You know what God says? Through his power, we don't have to fear death. Isn't that great? Through his power, we don't have to fear death because Jesus Christ conquered death when he rose from the grave three days later. And as a Christian, man, when we think about the power of God, yeah, we can think about the Red Sea, but that's not what gives us hope. What gives us real hope is the resurrection of Jesus Christ because if Jesus Christ was able to conquer death and I put my faith and trust in him, guess what that means? He's promised that he's gonna conquer death for me too. And that's why we know the very moment that we die right now, if we were to die right now, if my body was to fall over and hit this ground and I was gone, hey, I don't have to worry about that. Because I know that the very moment that I take this last breath on the earth, I'm gonna be with the Lord Jesus Christ for all of eternity. You know why I have that assurance? Because of his great power. His power, not my power. It's not through my power that I'm able to face death. No, no, friend. It's through his power, through his power and what Jesus Christ did. And so because of his uh, power and conquering the, the trials and the temptations of life, now he has the power to conquer any trial that I will face in this life, including death. Look, I don't know what you're going through, friend. I don't know what you're going through in life. But I can tell you this. If you're a Christian, understand his power. Understand his power. Look, you want to live with purpose? Then look to him. Look, to him. look I'm not saying that everything's just going to be smooth sailing. I'm not saying that everything's just going to be a bed of roses and you're never going to have any problems in life. No, no, no. But what I am saying is when you face those problems and when you face those trials, you can understand that there is someone who has the power to face them for you and to defeat them. And you don't have to worry about them because you're going to be looking to him because you're living with purpose. You're living with purpose his power. It helps us knowing that he conquered death, that we can live this life and know that he can conquer all the trials and temptations that we face. It's interesting through the resurrection, we also understand that God has power to give man a new life and the power to live that new life before him. Again, we, we've, got to, we've got to take off the physical eyes and put on the spiritual eyes and say, hey, wait a minute, this life is not about me. This, this new life that I have in Christ. Look over with me in the book of, um, look in, in the book of Romans chapter 6. In Romans chapter 6. In Romans chapter 6, notice in verse number 3. He says, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? He's talking about when we have put our faith in Christ, we're now placed into Jesus Christ, right? Then he says, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father. Did you notice that? Like, like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we, who is we? those who've accepted Jesus Christ, we also should walk in newness of life. 
He says, look, just as Jesus Christ was raised up by the glory of the Father, just as he had power to raise up Jesus Christ, and now Jesus has this new life, he says now, he's saying to us who believe, we have this new life in Christ. We have a new life in Christ. Look, compare this to the book of Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Notice what he says in verse number 1. If ye then be risen with Christ. There's that resurrection again. If you're risen with Christ. Now look, we understand when a person gets saved, when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, nothing physical happens to our body. Right? Nothing physical happens. Okay? Your, you know, diseases don't go away. Limbs don't grow back. I mean, brain cells don't grow back, right? I mean, hair doesn't grow back. Isn't that right, Brother Jay? Right? Hair doesn't right? Hey, two weeks ago, he got me when I was gone. So I had to, you know, I had to, right? No, no our physical body doesn't change, right? Spiritually, it does. Spiritually, we are made new in Christ. Spiritually, we are given the righteousness of God, But with that righteous comes a new life. And he says we are dead to sin. We've been given this new life. Watch what he says here in Colossians. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. And then jump down with me to, uh, to verse number 10. And have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. What's he saying? We now have a new man. There is, there's, there's something new about us. We are given a new life in Jesus Christ. He says, the old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Well, if, if after I get saved, my purpose in living is the same as before I got saved, why did he give me a new life? You understand what I'm saying? If, if I have this life that I'm living, and let's face it, before we, get, before we accepted Christ, the life we were living is all about me. It's all about us. What I want to do, how I want to live, where I want to go, what I want to say, what I want to think, it's all about us. But then we, we come to know Christ as our Savior. We put our faith in Jesus Christ, and he saves us from our sins. And if he's giving us a new life, And this new life still has the same purpose. It's all about me. Then how is it new? What's new about it? Nothing. There's nothing new about it. That means we must not be understanding something. That means we must be looking at this from the physical aspect instead of the spiritual aspect. So if he's saying that before I was in sin and it life was all about me and all about what I wanted and what I wanted to do, and then I met Jesus Christ and he saved me from my sin and now he gives me a new life, that must mean that in this new life there is to be a new purpose. There's a new purpose to live. It's not going to be the same as the old life, the old purpose. It is a new life. It is a new purpose. What is that purpose? It's him. He is the new purpose. 
Before I got saved, I was the purpose. It's all about me. But now that I get saved and put my faith and trust in Christ and he gives me a new life, he also gives me a new purpose. And that purpose is Jesus Christ. And here's why so many Christians are, are living discouraged, defeated lives, just kind of stumbling through, not really excited about life, not really going anywhere, is because we're trying to live the new life with the old purpose. And that's not going to work. It's not going to work. We're trying to live this new life in Christ, but it's still all about me. And we are, we're actually causing, we're, we're causing a fight almost between God and us. God's saying, no, I've given you a new life. No, I want to still live the old life. No, no, I've given you a new life. I've given you power. I've, you're my inheritance. I've called you. I've given you a purpose. I want you to live for me. No, no, I want to still live the old life. And we're fighting against God. And we wonder why. We wonder why we never seem happy in Christ. We wonder why we never seem to have a joyful life. We wonder why it just seems like things just never go the way you want them to. Because we're living a new life with the old purpose. And it's never going to go well. With the new life, he also gives a new purpose. That's why he said at the beginning of there in Colossians, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. Why? It's a new purpose. There's a new purpose for my life now. It's not just supposed to be all about me. It's not just supposed to be all about what I can get because all these things are going to be left behind. Look, you might drive a nice car and nothing wrong with a nice car, but guess what? Either it's going to get old, it's going to wear out, you're going to wreck it, or one day if Jesus Christ comes back soon, you're going to leave it behind and somebody else is going to take it. Now, what was the point of it then? Man, I've got a man, a beautiful house, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm saving up for my dream home. Look, nothing wrong with having a nice house. But if that's your purpose, what happens today if Jesus Christ comes and takes us home? You taking that house with you? Why would you? You got a better house up there. So why are we living for that? Why is that our purpose? You see, we have to stop looking with physical eyes and start looking with spiritual eyes. That the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, he says. Look, if we want to truly live with purpose, we have to understand there is a new spiritual life that he has for us. Look, I understand we need a vehicle, and I understand we need a house, and I understand you have to have a job. I'm not against those things. But when those become our purpose... When life becomes all about me, we're back to the old life, the old purpose. And that's not why he saved us. That's not why he's given us his power. He's extending his power to us, not for self, not so we can just waste it on self, but so that we can use it for his glory, for Jesus Christ. He has the power to raise from the dead. <laughs> When, one day, if Jesus Christ tarries his coming and we take this last breath and we are placed in the ground, oh, what a day we have to look forward to when Jesus Christ comes and our bodies are resurrected. Resurrected. Again, he talks about it, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Raised him from the dead. His power. And yet so many Christians struggling through life not making use of the power, this mega power, this exceeding 
great, mighty power of God that he is extending to usward. He says, I want you to have my, I want you to use my power. But here's the thing, we can't use his power if we're still living with the old purpose. It's not going to work. It doesn't work. You ever, um, I, don't, I don't know, here in the States, I don't think a lot of you deal with 220. Um, but have you ever uh, plugged a, something that takes 110 and plugged it into a 220? You know what happens? Doesn't work. Doesn't work. You understand that's what we're trying to do? That's what we're trying to do. It's not going to work. We're trying to take what we think is right and try to plug it into what God says. And God says, we're not on the same system here. You're still thinking physical. You need to think spiritual. His power. Notice his authority. I'm going to try to finish this up quickly here. His authority. Notice at the end of verse number 20, he says, and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in the world, in this world, but also in that which is to come. Think about it. God has placed Jesus Christ at his own right hand. And watch what he says in verse 22. And hath put all things under his feet. Again, it's showing this position of authority. This position of authority. In fact, in, in, the old, in, the, in the Bible times, what would happen is when a king would conquer another king, they would bring the conquered king to the one that conquered him, and the conquering king would take his foot and place it on the neck of the conquered king. Why? Because it was showing that this king had no authority anymore. He has no power And he would take his foot and place it on the neck of the king, just signifying the authority and the power that the conquering king had. You understand? He says he has placed everything under the feet of Jesus. The authority that Jesus has. Not just the power that he has, but the authority that he has. Every other seat of power is below his, his, God tells us. In in Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 9 through 11, he says, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, Jesus, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He said Jesus Christ has been given such a seat of authority he, he says he has all authority, just as he has all power, he has all authority. His authority, not ours. It's not our power, it's not our authority, it's his. All spiritual power is below him. You see that uh, principalities and power and might, they're all below him. All secular power is below him. He talks about dominion and, uh, and, and all that is in this world, but also in that which is to come. Every earthly form of government is subject to Jesus. Satan and all his power and his demonic power cannot hope to win because God has set Jesus Christ above all power, all authority Jesus has. And you understand, that's the one we get to serve. That's the one we get to serve, the one that has all power and all authority. All authority. You understand, that's why Jesus says, hey, when you pray, you ought to pray in my name. Why? He's got the authority. Look, I'm, I'm sorry, but we don't pray to Mary. 
We don't pray to the saints. We don't pray to a church. We don't pray to anybody else. We pray to Jesus. Why? Because he has the authority. He has the power. He has the authority. That's who it has been given to. It is to Jesus Christ. It's his authority. But notice it's also, notice his body. Now put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. And again, you could have a whole message just on this about his body in the church. The church is called the body of Christ. God gives us a picture of the church with every believer making up the body and Christ being its head. Every believer is part of the body, is part of the church, part of the body of Christ. Now, there are some that do not believe that every believer is part of the body of Christ. When we were talking about believers, we are talking about those from Christ up till now, until Jesus Christ returns. They believe that only those who are members of a certain church are part of the body of Christ. I don't believe that. If you look at Scripture, you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you look at Ephesians chapter 1, we don't have time to turn to those places, but it makes it very clear that any person who is born again, whether they're a member of a church or not, is part of the body of Christ. Why? Because it's not the church, that, it's not the building that makes you part of the body. It's salvation. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are saved and you are part of the body of Christ. You're part of the body. Jesus Christ is the head. We're part of his body right? If you're, in a, if you're saved here, you're part of the body of Christ. If you're saved in Africa, you're part of the body of Christ. If you're saved in China, you're part of the body of Christ. If you're saved in South America, you're part of the body of Christ. doesn't matter who you are or where you are. If you're saved, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your savior, you are part of the body of Christ. And Christ is the head. He is the head of the body. Now, do I believe that Christians should be part of a local church? Absolutely. Absolutely. Being a member of a local church is simply the visible means of being able to see the body of Christ. Because you can't have the whole body of Christ all together, all over the world. It's just not possible. There's there's too many of us, right? And so what does God do? We find Jesus Christ establishing local churches in local areas. And those local churches are a picture of the body of Christ, right? This could be dangerous. <laughs> how many of you, and I, I obviously I know there's some of you here, but how many of you who are members of First Baptist Church, right, you are related physically, not spiritually, okay? All right? You're related physically to somebody else in this church. Can you raise your hand? Okay, there's a few of you, right? But you understand, just being related physically to someone doesn't make you part of the church, right? How many of you are not related to anybody in the church, right? It's just you, right? Yeah, look, there's a lot more of you than there was the other related people. Say, why do you say that? Um, How many of you live in Eaton? Raise your hand, okay? How many of you live outside of Eaton? How many of you... um, how many of you work a job? How many of you are either retired or you don't work or whatever? Okay, yeah. You say, why are you doing this? I'm trying to show you the diversity. You understand not everybody's the same here? We all come from different backgrounds. Some of us are related, some of us aren't. Some of us work maybe at a factory job. Some of us work maybe landscaping. 
Some of us, we have, we have all different types of jobs. There are all different types of personalities here. But you know what? When we come together and we become part of a member of a local church, guess what? We are one body. One body, right? You understand? Hey, look, there are people from China and there are people from Russia and there are people from South America and there are people from Africa and America that are all part of the body of Christ. Man, thank God that there is diversity. Thank God that anyone for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen? Amen. Anybody can. And once they do, they're part of the body of Christ. But God says, hey, it's hard to see that, so let's make it visible. Let's bring it to a local level. And that way, anybody who's in that local area, if they're saved and they want to be part of that local church, man, they're going to be a representative of the body of Christ. This church, those who remember, it's just a picture of the broad body of Christ. Hey, made up of all kinds of different people. Thank God for that. Thank God that, we're, that there's a variety of people. And that's why it's so important to be part of a local church because we're representing Christ as a whole. We're representing the whole body of Christ, letting it be seen through the visible local body. And through the church, the church, the, the local church is the instrument that God is using to bring about his will on the earth. And, and through the local church, that's what God is established for, to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And, and that's why, man, you ought to be part of a local church. You ought to be part of a local church that is representing the body of Jesus Christ and, and trying to reach people with the gospel and, and preaching and teaching the word of God. You ought, to be, you ought to be part of that. Why? Because it's a picture of his body. It's a picture of Jesus Christ. And if Jesus Christ was willing to give his life for the church, we ought to be part of it. We ought to be part of what he's trying to do. Christ needs the church, and the church needs Christ. You say, wait a minute, Christ needs the church? Wait a minute, aren't we his body? We're his body. He needs us to fulfill his purpose. The head of a body cannot function without the body, nor can the body function without the head. You understand that the head is where the dreams and the ideas come from, but the body is the one that carries out the plans. Hey, we already know what the head has said, that Jesus Christ is the head of the church. and said, hey, this is my dream. This is my plan. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Guess who gets to have a part in that? The body. We do. We get to have a part in it. Why? Because we're part of the body of Christ. The head says, hey, I want you to go and I want you to help teach people and disciple them and help them to grow. And this is my plan. This is my dream. This is my vision. Guess who gets to be a part of that? We do. We're part of the body. We get to be the, the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. We get to be the ones going out, sharing Christ with other people. It, but it's his body. It's not ours. This isn't my church. This isn't your church. This is where we assemble. But guess what? We belong to him. It's his body. Are we living with purpose? Everything he says here, his calling, his inheritance, right? It's, it's all, it all belongs to him. It's his inheritance. It's his authority. It's his power. It's his body. So are we going to continue living with physical eyes? Are we going to continue living the old way? Or are we going to live the new life that he has for us? Realizing that it's not about me. It's about him. It's all his. We just get to be a part of it. We just get to have a small part of it. Because it's not about us. We have a new life in Christ. 
We're part of his body. We get to, we get to be able to use his power. We're under his authority. It's his calling. We're his inheritance. Are we truly living with purpose? Truly living with purpose? Or are we just living to satisfy self? Are we looking with physical eyes? Are we seeing it with spiritual eyes? Paul says, I'm praying that God would open your eyes, to open the understanding of your eyes, that they would be enlightened, to see that it's all about him, not about us. I wonder whether our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning. Every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking about. Are you living with purpose? Look, if you're just living for self, then you're not really living for purpose. Because all those things are just going to be done. They're going to be gone. But when you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, he gave you a new life. He gave you a new purpose to live. Are we living with purpose? Maybe there's somebody here this morning, you say, Pastor, I'm not even sure if I'm saved. Friend, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, we would love to take the Word of God and show you how you can be saved so you can have a new life, so that you can live with purpose. Maybe there's somebody this morning, you say, Pastor, I'm not sure if I'm saved, but I would sure like to know how to be saved. I'd like to know how I could have my sins forgiven and be made right with God and be part of His inheritance. Is there anybody this morning you just... Raise your hand and put it right back down. Nobody's going to come to you. Nobody's going to call you out. But Pastor, would you pray for me? I'm not sure if I'm saved. I'm not sure if I'm saved. And Christian, are you living with purpose? Are you truly living with purpose? Or are you just living for self? Father, I pray you'd work in our hearts this morning. Help us to realize that to live for purpose, to live with purpose is to live for you. And to live the life that you've called us to live. Because it's all about you. Lord, help us not just live for self. But to live for the glory and honor of Jesus Christ. And for what he's done for us.